This is a closer look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. Maureen Sherry had a great career on Wall Street. She was the youngest managing director at Bear Stearns. But at a certain point, she chose her marriage, her children, and her desire to write over the annoyance at dealing with men at a male-dominated firm. She quit, wrote an award-winning book for children, and then used her Wall Street experience to write Opening Bell, a semi-autobiographical novel about her experiences with the harassment of the bro culture and the high price she paid to be a team player. She joins me now for a closer look. Maureen, you wrote a book in a time when male privilege was the ruler, and women either put up with some of this or left. After the Harvey Weinstein scandal, we get almost daily reports of other men who have harassed and abused women. Really powerful men are losing jobs. I'm sure you're not happy about this, but your book is newly relevant. How do you feel about what's happening today? Do you consider yourself vindicated? So thanks, Arthur, for having me on. And do I feel vindicated? I feel the empowerment of some of these women who are finding their voices and feel the freedom to finally speak. As you know, particularly in the financial world, everyone signs a U4, which commits you to arbitration. And so that is why, especially in the financial world, we really haven't heard these women's stories. Every time there is a large lawsuit, there's a settlement out of court. And so, you know, writing a novel was a way to bring some of these experiences and stories to the page without particularly pointing a finger at specific people. And so it's interesting that Hollywood is, yes, leading the way with the transparency here. And I feel, I wouldn't say the word is vindicated, but I feel sort of refreshed that we are finally speaking about this. When you started uh, researching about life on Wall Street, you intended the book to be nonfiction. How did it end up as a novel? So the original nonfiction version did sell to a publisher, but as it sort of went up the ranks and got closer to the pub date, I think it got clear to certain higher-ups that there would be legal issues involved. And so despite the fact that it had been vetted, the feeling was it was best to go back and rewrite it as a novel, essentially another way of gagging the story. Most writers hope that their books or their pieces are going to make a a difference. Do you have that hope for your book? And do you think it will resonate beyond the bestseller list? And has it? So I think that is one of the hopes I have for this book. I'll never forget the feeling of I have two sons and two daughters and I was sitting in, you know, a back to school night and the school was talking about an internship program. And I had this crazy reaction to the feeling of my daughters interning in a place of business. And rather than feeling excited for them, I felt a little bit anxious because I felt that some of the things that I had experienced and the women around me I witnessed experiencing was also something that they would be exposed to. And so that really did motivate me to write this book. The fact that it is out there and and sort of breathing air into this space, I feel will make a difference. And after you published the book, did 
women contact you with any stories or or comments, or for that matter, any of the men that you worked with? Yeah. So I always like to say most men in the world are actually good people. And so, <laughs> you know, sometimes we're, we're, we're just brushing this with these very broad strokes when we have this conversation. And so I always want to back up and make that very, very clear. But I do feel like it's going to be a particularly poignant time and a very important time for these things to be talked about, not just for the financial world, but for many, many fields. So in particular, I had wrote written an op-ed that was in the New York Times that described some nonfiction experiences, both of myself and other women. And the response I got to that was really interesting. While I expected most people to be from the financial world who contacted me, most were from a very, very wide range of fields for for corporate America and law and many other fields. And so it made me feel like this is not so much a Wall Street problem. This is an American problem. Do you think that the issues with Harvey Weinstein and others has converted non-believers to believers? Have you heard that at all? Yeah. And it also makes you understand that sometimes it's the cultural culture of a particular place. So for instance, in some investment banks, people would say, oh, that was never my experience at all, to which my response was always, that's fantastic. But some places were more permissive than others. And some places, especially if it's a particularly large producer, in the case of Weinstein, of course, he he was phenomenally good at what, what he was doing, you know, producing films. And so it hushes everybody around him. I think the people who had always been sitting on the sidelines and witnessing things and not speaking up about it, I think that's something that's changing too. Some of this stuff is men trying to be playful and one-up one another at the expense of women. Do you you experience or are you aware of any supervisors having stepped in in some instances to turn that off? I did a lot of interviewing of men also, not just women, but men. And some of them talked about the feeling of being left out of the bro culture because they were not participants and things like that. And the feeling that much like say in a fraternity, one person tries to show off for the other men and that there's nothing really meant, you know, to hurt a particular woman, but you're saying at the expense of women. And I think that's very true. I think that having these conversations now is changing the game where it becomes very crystal clear that that kind of behavior is no longer tolerated. And so I do think that it helps men also because men who have felt left outside or don't want to participate in this sort of thing, won't have to deal with that either. Maureen, you say that when you first get to the street, it's a slow realization that abuse comes with the job. Is it the big money that can be made? Is that the reason people put up with the abuse or look the other way? I think their reasons are many. You know, for instance, it's an incredibly interesting job. And so if you like the meat of your business, the chances are you want to stick it out. Uh, One thing I noticed is part of my job was interviewing other women. And sometimes you could tell where some women were sort of would be more resilient to, I think, what we would describe as abuse. But one thing I noticed is that as time went on, a younger generation of women seemed to be less tolerant. And so, but instead of putting up much of a fight, many of them would leave or go to do something sort of entrepreneurial or maybe with other women. Sometimes when you look at major firms who say, well, we can't get enough women into the C-suite or women leave for other reasons, I would beg to argue that that is not true. I think it's the culture of the environment they work in, which is the base of the reason why they leave. Don't you think there are any number of men that get sucked into this culture 
because they're fearful of seeming uh, unmanly if they don't go along with uh, what's being said at that point I, in time. Yes, I agree very much. It, it's the the feeling of not fitting in. You you want to be you want to be part of it. You want to be part of the club. You want the head guys to think you're a very promotable person. And so for you to be raising your hand and saying, "Hey, I don't think that's right." It's probably not the the best form of networking, shall we say? I do think though, again, it's from the top down. So if the 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 people leading corporations uh, don't stand for this sort of behavior. You will see it trickle down, shall we say, and they'll trickle down and that, that behavior will go away. Do you think if there were more women in executive positions in Wall Street that the 2008 crisis might have been different? That is an interesting question because I've had some women who always point to the fact that some very senior women were one of the most uh, notorious firings, right, after the financial crisis. Women do tend to be, they tend to be more risk averse. They don't, as we say, sh- you know, swing for the fences with the same enthusiasm, maybe. And, and that is sort of stereotyping. But I do, there, you can make the argument. And when you look at certain banks, particularly those in Europe, where women are much more prevalent in the C-suite, they didn't really have the same sort of uh bets and and risky, I would say risky bets. Uh, They didn't take those same sort of bets that uh, many of our banks did. Now, study after study says that companies with more women on boards and in the C-suite do better financially. Yet it seems the skills women naturally have, cooperation, more cautious risk-taking, are not valued that much. Is it possible that that can change? I think it will change. I think we're all coming around to the to the idea that the more diverse opinions you have at a table, the better the outcome and the better decisions you're going to make. So, so if everybody is exactly homogeneous, looks the same, thinks the same, chances are you're you're not going to get as great decisions uh, as you would should there be some diversity around the table. Everyone who resigns from Bear Stearns in those days had to sign a non-disclosure agreement. You didn't sign that, and you you declined. How did they react? So you sign the non-disclosure, and there's also sort of the wink-wink that there's a check that goes along with that. And so the reaction went something like this. So I was you know, can you sign this? And, you know, you've done such a great job here. And, you know, the implication that there's a check. And my response was, well, what is that money for? And it felt very powerful to say something like that. It also felt very expensive (laughs) to say something like that. But I just couldn't imagine living a life where I had to always be thinking about how I was saying things and being restricted. So their reaction uh, was to uh, up the number. And so I just stopped. This is back in fax days. I stopped, you know, receiving the faxes and I stopped uh, really discussing it. There was no particular event, right, that happened. It was just more that constant ebb that I wanted to be able to talk about. Now, almost everyone who goes to work on Wall Street signs a U4 a document stating that any grievances will be settled in-house. Now, do you blame this forced arbitration for keeping the culture of secrecy going and 
enabling the harassment in a way. You know, Arthur, one of the things that made me a fan of yours was always the fact that you leaned toward transparency. Here, I think this is a, a great example of that, because what, it, what we're really saying is by getting rid of the U4, you're just having more transparency between employees and employers. I don't think that would be a bad thing. Most men weren't raised to be disrespectful or worse to women. What happens to them when they join a trading floor or a tech startup, for example? I think, again, it's trying to fit into the culture. One thing that mystified me once, I remember this kid, he'd gone to this Ivy League school. He was super respectful and would come around and he was the kind of person who would always say, I'm, I'm going here, can we pick up lunch for you, and that sort of thing. And it was interesting to watch somebody like that transition over the course of a year. He was super ambitious, and the message he was getting was the way he was acting was not really the way the higher-ups acted. And so to watch somebody like that transition was really educational for me. And to your point earlier about fitting in with the bro culture, that's that's what happens so often. You have perfectly nice people who feel the path to success includes bad behavior. Maureen, I too have lived through the period that you write about. And I think the firm you worked for had a particular culture which didn't necessarily characterize all of Wall Street. And it was characteristic of a point in time. I wonder if you came back to the workplace today and had to write a book, whether it would be the same book, do you think we haven't changed considerably from that period? And don't you think your firm was a particular outlier in that world? Yeah, so that was something especially with the adaptation of the book to the movie that I was very sensitive to. I went back to, this is within the last 12 months, to a wide range of investment banks and probably had about 20 or so interviews where women and men got to be completely anonymous and really talk about their personal experiences at their different firms. To your point about it being a culture, a firm-by-firm culture that is absolutely true in places where that behavior had existed to say that it doesn't exist any longer, I would say is very much not true. Some of the very overt behavior has calmed down, or but I would also argue that I think some of it has gone more undercover. One of the people who really helped me along this was a lawyer. And this particular attorney only deals with harassment and unfair pay lawsuits in the financial industry. And comparing notes and comparing stories would make me say that, no, that that sort of stuff really does happen to this day. You know, again, I have to reflect on my own experience working uh, with these firms. And my recollection of Bear Stearns during a period of time is that it really had a buccaneer culture, which was largely determined by the kind of people that managed the firm. Uh, If you looked at other firms, they didn't necessarily have that same buccaneer culture. I think it varied firm by firm. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that very much. However, if the implication is that it's the only firm that had that sort no. of thing, yes, I, I would say that's not true. But but yeah, 
again, the culture in some of these firms is far more professional than others. And but there's a wide range. And there's also a lot of looking the other way at the firms that do tolerate this, particularly if the offender is a a big rainmaker or a big producer for the firm, there's a lot of leeway, aka the Harvey Weinstein story, where people are willing to ignore the behavior because this person is just so financially important to them or they're afraid of the wrath of that person and the power that that person has over them. And they don't want to break the cultural code. People in general are reluctant to be outliers. There has to be some incentive to being an outlier, and particularly where you're dealing with large sums of money, the tendency tends to be go along. Yeah, it's not just money. It's also about fitting in. I, I was yes. throw it back to my children. Where they're constantly getting these messages about bullying and how if you witness bullying, if you don't say something about it, then you two are complicit. Well, isn't this really the same thing on an adult playing field? I think it, it absolutely is. Now, you wrote about a visit to a Silicon Valley startup and about your thoughts that this new industry with younger men could be different for women. But you found that the tech world might actually be worse for women. My own observation is that that's all over the lot. I can think of tech firms which really have uh, uh, standards that you would applaud in terms of encouraging women. But I'm curious to know what your experience in, in this new arena uh, and the Bitcoin world might be. So I, I think that the startup world, just like you said, there is a huge variety of experiences there. I feel like we saw with the Uber CEO getting getting fired and how women really felt the power to come and tell their stories pretty quickly and for, for Uber to take action. Now, that is my hope, that that because they are part of a, a newer world, that they're going to learn from the mistakes of more established industries, such as Wall Street, and that they will take note about what is tolerated and what shouldn't be tolerated. Some of them are, are so small, they don't even have human resources departments or any structure like that. But I do feel women now feel that their voice, that, that they no longer have to be afraid to speak up because it's a little more of a universally unaccepted thing to behave badly. Maureen, you have several children. How would you feel about uh, their goal to uh, go into Wall Street and make a lot of money? So I get this question a lot because I speak in schools often. I would be very excited to encourage young people to go into the financial industry. Again, it's a numbers thing. I think the more women and the more diversity you have at these firms, the better, the more this conversation goes away. I also feel like it's fabulously interesting. And the skills you'll you'll learn in the financial world are very transferable to anything you want to do. So I do encourage it. I would counter that by saying to you that the major objective of going into Wall Street is making money. Is that what you want for your children? I it's going to sound cliche, but I truly want my kids to feel happy. And so I feel that 
uh, I, I feel it. I want them to be interested and engaged in the world and to have a very good sense, an ethical sense, and I want them to be happy. And so if being happy includes being financially stable, then yes, I encourage it. Do I feel that they need to be millionaires? Absolutely not. Shifting gears, Harvey Weinstein was backed all these years by an all-male, nine-member board. Where was the board? Oh, that is an excellent question. Where was the board? In, in so many of these stories, you yes, know... nearly all of them. The board... I, I honestly believe, Maureen, that boards should have a culture of skepticism. But my experience with boards is that their culture is largely fraternal. It's fraternal, and again, it's the, you know, are they complicit? Because what's shocking to all of us is it seems like it's not who knew, it's almost who didn't know in the, in the Weinstein situation. And so with everybody knowing and everybody looking the other way, uh, why did they ignore it? And so it usually comes back to money money and power. And so nobody wanted to rock that boat. And they all willingly looked the other way. I was talking to somebody who was also on some very high profile boards, charitable boards, who the question is, did they know too? Did, did he just bring in so much money for them that they too decided it's better to look the other way and not rock the boat? Now you wrote about the problems at Uber. And you say, where harassment and bro behavior thrive, it's now recognized as an expense line item. Maybe that fact will finally bring change. Macho behavior costs too much. Has it cost Uber? Remember there was that surge of people deleting the Uber app right after uh, he, was, he, uh, he was fired. And so I think that people do that sort of as a reaction. And then, you know what, one night it's raining and they need a car service and they put it back on and they, they leave it on. But they spoke, you know, for a while there, that was a very impactful thing for people to do. So I do think that that there is impact from this sort of behavior. And, and again, we, we're going to have this transparent world where you can you can talk about this, you can take action right away. And I do think that it's expensive for companies when you look at payments made, for instance, I believe Morgan Stanley paid $54 million uh, to their class action suit, and they used that money to do positive things for diversity and for women and for making sure that their income was uh, equal across the board for people in the same positions. They don't want to pay that again. So I have to believe that punitive damages like that are making some impact. Don't other men need to call out the men they know to be bad actors so... They know they won't be protected. Isn't it up to up to the men now, or are they caught up in the it's up to culture the, of Yeah. It's up to the men and to the women. It's it's up to everybody to if if something is really it's not okay to sit on the sidelines any longer. I think that so many of these women, when they would speak, said, I didn't want to speak because I didn't know what would happen to me. They worried about losing their jobs. They worried about their income getting slashed. They worried about some sort of, you know, everybody turning on them. That is what I think is changing. Have things gotten better since you left investment banking? So if your question is better as far as outright behavior, I would say yes. I did, for, for the movie research, as I was saying, I went and spoke to men and women I found some interesting things from men's side that I wanted to share. 
One uh, very senior man said to me, sometimes I encourage my managers to promote women and they will come to me and say, if I promote this woman, woman and take a chance on her, if it doesn't work out, I feel like I am not in a position where I can let her go or demote her again or something like that. And so they feel like sometimes there's safety in just having a more homogeneous group that they work with. So so that's that's too bad. Uh, but overall, I'd say that the culture or the, the feeling in the last 10 years in the workplace has calmed down and that it has gotten better. But the thing that hasn't really gotten better are women who are really in the truly senior positions. When you look at the C-suite for investment banks, the numbers have not changed that dramatically. You have you have spots where I believe Goldman Sachs is up in the 20% or, or even higher at this point uh, in the partner range, but still markedly below the percentage of women who work in the, in the place overall. Well, you're at absolutely superb spokesperson for a terribly important trend in American society and in commerce. Uh, you're the youngest managing, you were the youngest managing director at Bear Stearns, and you left it all to be a writer. Uh, Opening Bell is your first novel for adults, a national bestseller about the harassment you and other women experience in the adrenaline-fueled old boys club that's Wall Street. And your book is currently being adapted for the big screen. Maureen Sherry, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Arthur. By the way, if any in the audience have comments about the show or suggestions for topics, you can email me at a closer look at Bloomberg.net. That's a closer look, one word, at Bloomberg.net. And follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt. One word. This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. It's 25 minutes past the hour.